If I haven't had the opportunity to meet you before, my name is Grant. I'm one of the teaching pastors here at Christ the King Church. Glad that you're here, chosen to worship with us during this uh, Christmas season. I want to welcome everybody here at the Bellingham campus. I want to welcome those of you who are watching at our Ferndale campus, and a special welcome to those of you who are watching online as well. We're just glad that you're here. It's one of those exciting seasons at Christ the King. Lots of things going on on Sunday evening here at the Bellingham campus. There's going to be uh, kind of a family Christmas program. That's where the little kids come and sing and then the adults come and sing. And it's just kind of one of those great evenings when everybody just kind of gets together in the spirit of Christmas. And then next Sunday morning at the Ferndale campus, they're going to be having their own family program as well. And we're just excited about those. And, and uh, so for here at the Bellingham campus, just a word to the wise so you understand this thing normally fills up pretty quick. Um, we're not competing with snow like we did last year. And so if you want to get here and see the grandkids and the kids, you need to get here early or you might be fighting for a seat, okay? So that's tomorrow or Sunday evening here at the Bellingham campus next Sunday morning at the Ferndale campus as well. Um, uh, Pastor Mike has joined us. And he's on our staff and uh, been enjoying so much the worship that he's been bringing to us. And, and uh, coinciding with him arriving is actually the release of his brand new CD project. He actually has two of them and uh, he's not going to promote them, so I'm going to, okay? And uh, we have an opportunity as a church to grab these because we can learn a ton of new music that's going to be at the Bellingham campus and at the Ferndale campus. Some of the new songs that we've already learned in the last couple of weeks are going to be coming. And if you want to stick these in your car, they're awesome to sing along to. They're already family favorites at the, at, uh, the Fishbook family. And my kids are always just like, put Mike in, put Mike in, put Mike in. And so this is an opportunity. These are available in the comments after the service tonight. You can grab those and uh, Mike will be hanging around out there too. So you can introduce yourself and welcome to our family. So last week we started a brand new series called Another Way Home. And we focused in on a little phrase at the end of the story of the wise men that says that that after they had come and had an encounter with Jesus, that God sent them home by another way, that he gave them another way home. And, And what we learned from that little phrase is that God has an incredible heart for outsiders, for people that don't belong, for, for, for people that aren't supposed to be in certain locations, and that God opened his heart in that moment and began to write a story of grace that doesn't say you need to stay away, but instead says, no, you need to come closer. And we're going to continue along that theme this particular week because we're going to look at another group of people who showed up on the guest list for Jesus' birthday. And, and the pres- their presence on the, on the guest list is a little bit, it's a little strange because you wouldn't have picked these guys to be here. But once again, God begins to show his gracious, benevolent heart by inviting a group of people that you just wouldn't have put there at that particular time. God begins to tell a story again about how he feels about people that don't think they fit. And believe me, if there was a group of people in ancient Israel that didn't think they fit in God's plan, it would have been shepherds. I know many of you know the story of the shepherds, but here's the one thing you need to know about the shepherds as we walk through this today, and it's this. They were stuck. They were stuck. If you have a Bible, you've read these words before. If you've ever seen Merry Christmas, Charlie Brown, you've heard these famous words before. In Luke chapter 2, verse 8, the Bible says this, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And I know there doesn't seem to be much meat in that particular verse, but if you look at it historically, if you look at the snapshot of a shepherd's life, that picture alone may be so much worth more than a thousand words. 
Let me break it down for you this way, because this is why the shepherds were stuck. They were stuck because, number one, and if you want to follow in your outline, you can, they they, they had a, a reputation as deadbeats. Just like the wise men from last week, the shepherds were outsiders. According to Jewish law, the shepherd's job made them ceremonially unclean, which means for weeks on end, they weren't welcome in church. So that meant this in Jewish culture. Shepherds were the people that you walked around. They were the people that you crossed to the other side of the street so you didn't have to deal with them. They were ignored. They were pushed to the side. They were the bad people of this society. If you ran into a group of shepherds back in this culture at Bellis Fair Mall, you'd find another exit to disappear out of. They just had a bad reputation. The reputation they grew up with and carried with them is that they were all thieves. Like they were kind of gypsies. They just wandered around and helped themselves to whatever they wanted to. In fact, shepherds were not allowed to testify in court in this culture because people just assumed they were lying. How would you like that reputation all the time? Their reputation was that they were stained. That they were dirty. That, that they somehow belonged on the outside. And never were welcomed onto the inside. You know, can anybody else just relate to that? Maybe a reputation that that you inherited as a younger person that just kind of stayed with you and it just won't quite go away. The shepherds would understand your heart if that's where you were coming from. More than just a deadbeat reputation, they also had a dead-end job. I mean... I'm going to get you to experience their job in just a couple of seconds, okay? I want you to experience 25 seconds of the predominant role and viewpoint of a shepherd, and then we're going to see how you're doing after just 25 seconds. Okay, guys, are you ready? Let's watch the video screens together. Here it comes. Anybody nod off, right? I mean, seriously. Just imagine, if you were bored in less than 30 seconds, can you imagine doing that job all day long and all night long with no break, never an opportunity to come back home into town? You're just out there in the fields, and that's what you do 24-7. I mean, it was a dead-end job. Has anybody else ever had a dead-end job? I mean, I've had a couple of dead-end jobs. You know, I used to watch, wash pots in the kitchen at Brandon University. I knew I was in trouble the very first day because when I came to wash pots the first day in the kitchen, they said I had to undergo potty training, okay? That is not cool, no matter who you are, okay? I planted trees in northern British Columbia. That is a dead-end job. You spend all day, two and a half steps, green end up. That's the rules. That's how you do it all day long. It doesn't stop. It's exhausting. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm thankful for dishwashers and tree planters. I mean, God love your heart. But sometimes, I mean, you just, you look at that as as a place to work from. I mean, I saw somebody, I think this person actually has the worst job in Bellingham. Because this past summer, I'm over here by the IHOP. And there's a person standing on the corner dressed as a pancake. And it's hot outside. I mean, it's hot outside, and I'm pulling out by woods to kind of make a left there on Bakerview, you know, and I pull up beside, and, you know, I roll down my window, I'm just like, you know, hey, pancake, 
Is it hot in there? And the pancake, not nah, wobbles, yes. I'm like, do they pay you enough to be in that pancake? No. I mean, I know some people may call to that. Praise God if you are. But to me, being stuck in a pancake in 90 degree weather, that would be a dead end that I would be trying to get out of. These guys are absolutely stuck in an absolute dead end. So not only did they have, did they have you know, a, a, that particular part of a job that was kind of you know, dead in the water, a dead end job, but they also had a future that was dead in the water. I mean, if you were a shepherd, there was no social architecture to climb. There was no corporate ladder to get up on. There was no raises or incentives. There was no cost of living increase. The only thing you had to look forward to was more sheep. That's all that ever happened. More sheep. Your home was your field, and you were stuck there. And you weren't going anywhere. And these guys, if you look at history, they were socially stuck. They're not going anywhere. They were economically stuck. There was nothing to work their way towards. They were legally stuck. They weren't welcome. They were on the outside. They just needed to mind their own business and look after the sheep. And I've seen a lot of people the last couple of weeks who just seemed stuck. And they didn't know what to do. And very often they come wandering in the front doors of our church and, and they're looking for somebody to talk to because they're just stuck and they don't know where to go or what to do. I walked to a coffee shop not too far from here for an appointment this past week and I was walking down the street. I passed a guy and as I do... In this time of year, I said, Merry Christmas, as I'm walking by. I cannot repeat his response to my Christmas greeting in church because that would get me in a lot of trouble and I'd get a lot of mail. I just kind of walked around. I'm like, okay, all right, you know, that's, so. I mean, yeah, right? Merry Christmas, and I got back some interesting four-letter words, all right? So I just kept on going. I went down to my appointment and I, I met with who I was going to meet with and then I figured I, I, I needed to come back, so I seriously considered coming back to the church by another way, you know? I'm like, I don't want to have to go past this guy, but I looked down the street. I couldn't see him, so I started walking down the street. Well, sure enough, he'd just gone down by T-Mobile and made his way back to the corner by the time I reached him. So I walked by, and I'm thinking, you could try the Merry Christmas tact again, but I don't know. So I said as I walked past him, hey, I hope it gets better. He's like, what? He said, I, I hope it gets better because, man, if this is what's going on at Christmas time, I mean, it's bad. Well, that seemed to break the ice between the two of us just a little bit. It, it didn't take me very long to figure out that he just got fired. He's estranged from his family, used up all the food stamps already. And in reality, I just hit him in a moment where he was just sick and tired of people walking by saying Merry Christmas when to him right now in his world, this season is nothing but merry, or is not merry at all. So we talked for a couple of minutes, and he's standing on the corner, and I figured out he was waiting for his sister because his car broke down. He was waiting for his sister to come pick him up. And, and uh, I said, you know, can you just wait here for a minute? Would you just stay here for a little bit? And he's like, I haven't got anywhere to go. I'm like, okay. So I ran back to the church. I went to Lindy McDonough, who was our compassion director, and I took just a little tiny piece of the blessing that we've been, kept, we've been collecting for this last little while. And I ran back out into the corner and I said, would you mind meeting me at Cost Cutter? 
And he's kind of looking at me. I was like, just seriously, I'm not a freak. I'm not nuts. I'm not going to do anything wrong. Would you meet me at Cost Cutter? So his sister pulled in. Sure enough, there's a baby in the back seat. He's like, this guy said we're supposed to go to Cost Cutter. So they pulled in the Cost Cutter. And I filled up their car from you. And it was awesome. You know, as we're loading the groceries in the back and the diapers and the formula and all that other kind of stuff, he's just like, what are you doing? I said, I'm not doing anything. This is from Jesus. This is from Christ the King. And if you'd like, a whole group of people that love Jesus are going to meet at Christ the King on Christmas Eve. And we'd love to have you come and be a part of our family. I mean, he's just stuck, right? I don't know if he did anything wrong. All I know is the guy's stuck, and he needed someone to touch him. Well, this guy, it was stuck, and so were the shepherds. And last week, we asked the question, how does God deal with outsiders? Well, I'm going to ask this question. How does God deal with stuck people? How does God deal with stuck people? Well, I believe he does this. He invites them to find another way home. Another way home. The Bible says this in Luke chapter 2. If you've never heard the Christmas story before, here it comes. It says this, an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He's the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby. was lying in the manger and when they'd seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all of the things that they'd heard and seen, which which were just as they had been told. I mean, these guys are stuck. Deadbeat reputation, dead-end job, no future, and then one day, God unsticks them. How does God get the shepherds unstuck? Well, if you walk through scripture, I believe you can just see this laid out here right in front of us. Number one, I believe he does it because he changes their routine. I mean, just another normal evening full of sheep. I mean, can you imagine trying to stay awake if your job is actually counting sheep? I mean, think about that for a second, right? I mean, just unbelievably difficult. And suddenly, you know, it's the same old, same old thing. And suddenly God sends you an angel and pretty soon the angel's got company. And then your night has gone in a completely different direction. I mean, I found this at Christmas for so many people. We get stuck in the same routine, doing the same thing, night after night after night, day after day after day. And we wonder why is it that God doesn't interrupt us? My question is this. Have you invited him to interrupt your routine? Have you invited God to hijack your Christmas? 
I mean, every Saturday evening at Christ the King here in Bellingham, we meet in the prayer room up here, and I normally close our prayer time by saying this, God, this is your church, and it's your time, and they're your people. So this is what we plan to have happen tonight, but if you don't want that to go down, we welcome you to hijack and commandeer the entire thing, because if you do that, it's going to be awesome. How about doing that with your Monday? God, I plan to do this. I'm going to go to my job. I'm going to go home and watch TV. I'm going to sit there. I hope everybody leaves me alone. What if you invited God to interrupt your routine and say, Lord, I'm going to look for you in the cracks and the interruptions? I mean, these guys didn't have a whole lot of choice. They're just sitting there counting sheep and all of a sudden, wah, right? What if we learned from that and we said, God, would you please take over my routine? Would you please don't allow Christmas to become just this series of things that I just do every single year? Because if you always do what you've always done, you're always going to have what you've always had. Same deal. He changes their routine. Secondly, I love this. He changes their theology. These guys operated under the Old Testament law. And the Old Testament law told them that they were ceremonially unclean, so they weren't welcome in church. You need to stay out. You, you're, the, you're the stained people. You don't fit around here. You're not tidy enough for us. You bring too much mess along with you. They, were grow, they grew up underneath this understanding that they never quite fit. And yet suddenly, when God steps into the world, he invites these people who supposedly weren't a part of the party to actually get a front row seat. And he says to them, no, that's the way it used to be. But now there's a new way of doing things. We're not telling the story of law anymore where you're on the outside. We're telling the story of grace. And you guys, the most unsuspecting people ever, you're going to get invited to God's birthday party before anybody else. You come inside. You're welcome. God wants you to be at his birthday celebration. I don't know what rules you have grown up under. I don't know what has pushed you to the side or made you disillusioned by church. I don't know what has happened to you in the past that may have made you very suspicious of church people. What I know is this. If you are here and you are breathing, you are welcome at God's birthday celebration. You're welcome. Thirdly, he changed their purpose. I mean, uh, the fundamental purpose of a shepherd was to stay and watch the sheep. But do you notice what happens in the story? Suddenly, they're not staying and watching the sheep. Okay, now don't get, you don't, don't get your pita all in a knot thinking they left the poor sheep out there alone, you know? They had a system with under-shepherds, right? You know, was that funny? I thought that was funny. I like that, okay? I'm going to keep that in there, all right? So, but suddenly, they've got a higher calling. They've got a higher calling. Suddenly, it's not just about, about, about staring at sheep. Suddenly, they've been sent on a mission. The little verb in there says that they actually go on a search for God. In our modern society, can we not agree that you need to go on a search for Jesus to find him at Christmas? I mean, you've got to go looking for him. You've got to go searching for him. These guys, all of a sudden, had their lives repurposed, and they were chasing Jesus, not just chasing sheep. Christ the King, what are you chasing this Christmas? Are you chasing air miles that will not fill the hole in the bottom of your soul? Are you chasing Jesus? Have you considered repurposing your Christmas? I mean, instead of focusing on getting on Christmas Day, what if you flipped it and it was all about giving? 
What if you did a drive-by to a neighbor who has even less than you do? What if instead of eating Christmas dinner, you went to a mission and you served Christmas dinner instead? What if you found a need inside of your neighborhood and you just decided to meet it and you don't tell a soul that you're going to do it? Do you know what the Bible says about what happens to people who do that? The Bible says God notices. That God loves what's done in secret. What an amazing opportunity for us to search out. I mean, I think if we, you know, we keep praying, God, would you do something different this Christmas? God's people, how about if we do something different this Christmas? What if it became about everything we could get and export out of here, not necessarily what we could drag inside? Here's this next one. Verses 17 and 18 tell us that he changed their story. I mean, I love this part. Shepherds, all of a sudden, who don't belong in church, are set aside as the first evangelists in human history. I mean, these are the guys that aren't allowed to testify in court, and they're the first witnesses that are sent out with a testimony that the Savior, the Messiah, has arrived. Don't you love God's ironic sense of humor? These are the guys that no one was supposed to listen to, and yet the Bible says everybody is listening to this brand new story. And suddenly, they're just, I mean, can you imagine these guys' story? Okay, I used to look after sheep, but now, now, I got to see the Lamb of God. Can you imagine their resume? I used to work outside of Bethlehem. Bethlehem means house of bread. But then one night, I got invited to a manger, and lying there in the manger was a baby who later called himself the bread of life. All of a sudden, these guys have a totally different resume. I mean, it's the way it turns. Back at this time in history, if anybody would have stood up and said that that they were the good shepherd, everybody would have laughed at them. Not because they were saying that they're God, but because there was no such thing as a good shepherd. They were all bad shepherds. All of a sudden, these guys are worshiping at the manger of a baby who would become a savior who one day would name himself the unthinkable. A good shepherd. And I'm sure these guys in that moment were a little thrown off. Maybe were a little tentative as they walked into that stable or into that cave. Only to find that even though they thought they weren't welcome, that the God of heaven had rolled out a welcome mat for every single one of them. How about this one? He changed their tune. That's how he got them unstuck. I mean, up to this point, I don't know what shepherds sing, but, you know, probably, you know, nobody knows the trouble I've seen, you know? It's not like they had a whole lot to be joyful about. But the Bible says that they returned home, that they came back singing a different song. Can anybody see what it says there? It says they came home glorifying and praising God. That's a different tune. They're singing a completely different tune song. What's our song this Christmas? I walked into the mall the other day and I heard one of the theme songs of Christmas. All I want for Christmas is my... Yeah, right, right? You know, I hate to break it to you, kid, but that's not what you're getting, all right? You know, you're probably getting a Snuggie, one of those stupid blankets, you know? (laughs) Brutal, right? Yeah. Instead... You know, we sing songs that glorify and praise God too. 
But the cool thing about those songs is they don't focus on us. They focus on him. Because that's our role. It's to glorify and praise God in heaven. Do you see how different they are as they find another way home? I mean, the Bible says they returned. So where are they returning to? They're going back to the fields. They're going back to their regular lives, but they are different. They've been transformed because for them, that's where home is. Home happens to be in the fields. For me, it's in Linden. For you, it's in Bellingham, Whatcom County, wherever that happens to be. They get sent back, but after they've had a face-to-face encounter with Jesus, their story has changed. Their song has changed. Their perspective has changed. And this is the most important change of all. It's the final little statement in your outline. The Bible says this. It says, God changed how the shepherds viewed themselves, and that gave them another way home. See, these shepherds had a fundamental understanding that as shepherds, that they were dirty and they were stuck, that they were you know, doomed to live for their whole life on the outside looking in. They had nowhere to go because they didn't belong anywhere. They saw themselves as outsiders, that nobody loved them, that nobody wanted them, except for God. And suddenly they begin to understand and feel that if God loves you, you don't need anything else. That if God accepts you, you don't need anything else. I mean, at the beginning of this evening, if somebody had walked up and said, you know what, I think I'm you know, giving serious consideration to becoming a shepherd. I think, it, no, I don't think so. After this evening... You need to get with the program and be a shepherd. Because in, in, in Christian churches... For the next couple of thousand years, every kid's going to put on his father's bathrobe, pick up a crook, and they're going to want to be just like me. I mean, suddenly these guys are the stars of the show. Why? Because there was this monumental shift in the understanding of shepherding? No. Suddenly they're a big deal because God said they were worthy of an invitation to the birthday of a king. And if God can invite shepherds, then I guess that means we're all welcome. Every single one of us, regardless of our past or our history, regardless of our, rep, our, our, our reputation or our occupation, regardless of where we come from or where we're going. God has an open place and has invited us all to come and to celebrate the birthday of a king. You don't want to learn anything else from this passage today. Learn this. Learn this deep inside of your heart. Jesus sees you whole. Jesus sees you whole. He desires that relationship with you. I've been talking a lot about missions the last couple of weeks. and Years ago, uh, when I was a youth pastor in Steinbach, Manitoba, I did a crazy deal. I loaded up a whole pack of high school students, and we drove 27 straight hours from Brandon, Manitoba, to the southern tip of the Baja Peninsula. We went to a little town called San Felipe, Mexico, and we met a guide there uh, who worked with Mexican Medical Incorporated by the name of John Hall. John was an amazing guy. He was a, uh, an American corporate guy who walked away from a massive house, seven different cars. He walked away from all of it because he fell in love with this little orphanage on the southern tip of the Baja Peninsula. 
And we were there to actually try and, and, and dig a well. And the average temperature while we were there was about 119 degrees every day. I mean, you were drinking water and it was just coming right back out again. And we'd spent the entire day out on this site digging this well. We got down about eight feet and man, we were, we were gross. I mean, sweaty, stained, covered in sand and dirt. I mean, we were a mess. And we'd sent the team back home, and, and John and I would stayed afterwards to kind of make sure that everything was safe in that area because there was kids playing in the neighborhood. And, and, and we loaded up in, in his little Range Rover, and we're driving back, and all of a sudden John has this bright idea that we're going to go and see one of the ladies who founded the church and the orphanage that we're working at. He goes, we're just going to pull into Margita's house. You have to meet this lady. It'll be awesome. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, it's just it's disgusting. I mean, I've been sweating all day long, digging all day long in the desert. You know, I was not singing a worship song as I was digging in the hole, you know. And he pulls in, and so we get out of the truck, and I'm like, out comes this little Mexican grandma. And I'm like, hello. <laughs> Don't, you know, just. Margita was amazing because she walked up to both of us. She wrapped her arms around John and made just squeezed the stuffing out of him. And then she turned to me and she walked over. And she just bear hugged me as tight as she could. You know, and I'm, I'm sweaty. I'm gross. And she's got her face, like, plastered right up against my sticky chest. I'm like, oh, this is not good. And I'm a germaphobe, right? So I'm like, ah. You know, I don't want that for me, and I don't want it for my friends either, you know. But she's hugging me. And then as they begin to talk back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, Margita and John are talking away in Spanish. And I don't understand Spanish, but it didn't take me long to figure something out. She invited us for dinner, and he said yes. And I'm like, you're an idiot. What are you doing? Look at us. So we walk into this humble little home. And Margita has this little pitcher of water in a bowl. And she gestures for me to put my hands out. And she just pours water. Remember how cool it felt. She washes my hands and then she takes this little cloth and she kind of soaks it in the bottom of the deal and wrings it out. And she kind of grabbed me by the shoulders and like, down, you know, and she's a grandma. She can do this stuff, right, you know? So I'm kind of sitting on this little chair in front of her, and she starts wiping my face off with this cool cloth. And she's just pushing the dirt away. And then my hands are clean, and when my face is completely clean and my hands are completely clean, she grabs my hand and she says, Welcome. She laid out a spread. Oh, my goodness. Wow. I was an honored guest because she said I could be there. I was an honored guest, not because I belonged or because I was dressed for the occasion. I was an honored guest because the hostess invited me. The shepherds didn't belong. They weren't supposed to be there. But the host of the party said, oh, you're welcome. We want you to come. Come and worship. Come and meet the king. Because in meeting the king, we're sending a very, very clear message. 
restrictions are gone. You used to be on the outs, now you're on the in. And now we're going to send you home, another way home, with a different song and a different story. And the song and the story go like this. We're in. And so is everybody else. You have an invitation. Will you accept it this Christmas? So we're going to finish differently than we normally do. We talked about breaking up the routine, so we're going to break the routine right now. And normally what we do at the end of the service is that we give back to God our tithes and our offerings. Everybody stands up, we play a really, really loud song, and then we slap five and go home. And this time we're going to do it different. We're doing it different here in Bellingham. We're going to do it different in Ferndale as well. And today, Mike's going to come and, and he's going to sing over you. And I'm going to pray first, and then he's going to sing. And when he's done singing, uh, our tech director here and the guys who are running the boards in Ferndale, they're going to put on some really, really quiet music. And we're going to attempt to leave as quietly as we possibly can because I think there's probably some of you who need to stick around for a little while. Because maybe your world's just way too loud and way too crazy. Maybe you just need a few minutes, just a couple, to sit in God's presence and let him wipe the stains away. To let the cool gift of his grace just wash over top of you. Maybe you need to ask his forgiveness because you've already forgotten what Christmas is all about. Maybe just like the shepherds, you need to come to the manger. And just rest easy for a little while. So I'm going to pray. Mike's going to sing. And he's going to dismiss you. And you can leave whenever you want to. If you've got to go, go. But I'm going to ask you just to slip out quietly. If you want to stay, stay. Some of us are going to stand up here across the front. There'll be prayer people in Ferndale as well. If you need somebody to pray with, we'll be hanging right here. And at the end of this service, we're just going to take a great big deep breath not going to fire it back up. In fact, we're going to quiet it way, way down so we can have a moment like the shepherds when the most important thing in our mind was the simple truth that we're invited to God's birthday celebration. Would you pray with me as we close? Father God, I pray a blessing over our family at Bellingham and those that are gathered at Ferndale. I pray that in the quietness of this moment that you would come and meet and visit us here. Would you bless Mike as he sings and may his words saturate our heart. Lord, we don't want to get stuck in the desert. We want to be welcomed home. So I pray in this moment that your healing Holy Spirit would touch each and every heart in a unique and different way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This is my prayer in the desert When all that's within me feels dry This 
This is my prayer and my hunger and need. My God is the God who provides. This is my prayer and the fire. So try There is a faith more worth than gold. So we find me, Lord, through the flame. I will bring praise. I will bring praise. No weapon formed against me shall remain. I will rejoice. I will declare God is my victory and He is here. And this is my prayer in the battle. And triumph is still on its way. I am a conqueror and co-heir with Christ. So firm on His promise I'll stand I will bring praise I will bring praise No weapon formed against me shall remain I will rejoice I will declare God is my victory And He is still God I have a reason to sing I have a reason to worship all of my life in every season you are still God I have a reason to sing I have a to worship and I will bring praise I will bring praise no weapon formed against me shall remain I will rejoice I will declare God is my victory you now just um, when you're ready to um, you can you can go and uh, if you're first time guests there's a gift for you in the comments but guys have a great weekend we'll just see you back here next week